This is Fantasy Book Club. Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Book Club. This is the Internet's Book Club and just by listening, you're a member. My name is Colton Pratt. And I am Sydney Lyerly. And as this is a book club, we're reading through books. Right now, we're, we're still currently books, going... Books, <laughs> books, 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 Okay, sorry, go. <laughs> we're, st- we're still currently going through The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. It's the first book of the Stormlight Archive. Um, this week, make sure you have read, before you continue listening, chapters 28 through the end of Interlude 6. Yep. Uh, if you don't have those read, feel free to pause now and come back in a minute. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, we next week, Cindy, what are they doing? Yeah, so next week we've got quite a few chapters to read. So we're doing chapter 28, 30, 31, 32, and 33. So chapters meant, 29 yes. through 33. You meant 29. You're, Did I say 28? You said 28 for oh, sure. sorry. We read I meant 29. We read 28 this week. That's my bad. Yes. So 29 through 33 next week. Yep. All righty. Well, I think, is there anything we need to say before we get into it? I don't think so. I think we just go. Okay, I'm going. Uh, this week, the first chapter is is 28 Decisions. It's a chapter I read. And I'm going to read the little uh, letter piece that we always do. It goes like this. For I have never been dedicated to a more important purpose, and the very pillars of the sky will shake with the results of our war here. I ask again, support me. Do not stand aside and let disaster consume more lives. I've never begged you for something before, old friend. I do so now. This is this is some dark stuff. I was going to say, this is getting real dark. I have, so if you guys remember, I wrote down the letter on like my little sheet of paper. Yep. And it's getting long. It's, <laughs> becoming, it's becoming a full length letter. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so we're going to hop in. Uh, 28 Decisions. This is a uh, Dalinar slash Adolin chapter. Yep. Uh, if you don't remember, they just got back from winning the Gem Heart, uh, where they jumped across and fought. Yep. And the thrill left Dalinar, leaving him feeling all concerned. Yep. Um, and so it starts with Adolin, and Adolin opens with looking at his father and feeling frightened because only, he's able to look at his father and read him and understand, like, this is not normal. The look in his eye right now isn't normal. Yes. Nobody else probably would look at him and think anything's wrong, but very clearly to Adolin, Dalinar, something's up with Dalinar. Adolin's a good son, and he can tell. Yeah, Adolin's we a good son. Adolin's a good him for that. He's also kind of a jerk boy to his dad sometimes, though. Yeah, yeah. So he's, yeah. he's definitely top 10 sons in this book, but like, I wouldn't call him the best. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely far from the worst, though. The wor- not the worst son, yeah. Um, and as Dalinar, as Adolin, sorry, is looking at Dalinar, looking into the distance, um, they are currently also looking at uh, some. The, the remember last week, he uh, Dalinar approved the bridge master to start trying to, to design some uh, ch- uh, bridge crew run bridges. Yep. But the, the big design constraint is the the chawls yes. that pull are too heavy for the lightweight bridges. Yes. So they have to try and design something that can handle the big heavy bridge. Yeah. For the other for the last push. Yep. Um, and uh, the right now the, they they try it they try out their test bridge and discover that the chawls are just too heavy. Yeah. And Dalinar, that basically the decision is try and rework the chawl based bridge. To be narrower and lighter. Yeah. So that it can go across this bridge without breaking it. And the uh, Teleb, the bridge, the bridge leader, the bridge lord guy, says, that's very expensive. And Adolin says, if it help if it helps us win even one more gem heart, then it will it will have been worth it. Yep. Which is, I mean, Adolin's being, I think, dramatic, but I guess that's fair. I mean, imagine if it's like 
pay money is pay money to get money. That's how life is. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, Dalinar, uh, Adolin looks at Dalinar and goes, father. And Dalinar goes, why do you suppose there are no sharp plate like sharp plate like suits for workmen? Because he's currently looking at a group of men digging a latrine in the distance. Yeah. He he's thinking about it like if these help with like imagine there's a suit that helps with digging because it would make it like if it makes you stronger and smarter. There's why is there not a better pickaxe? Why is there only better killing weapons? Yes. Yep. And Adolin's only guess, um, Adolin's only guess is uh, that perhaps war was the most important thing that happened, which is a a weird idea, I guess. Because like I guess if if hmm, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Like, I'm trying to think. So, I understand Adolin's perspective, but I do think Dalinar is right. It would make so much more sense for all the worker people to have shard plate too, because it would make their lives so much easier. It would make, and also it would make everyone's lives easier, not just the workers, but also the people they're working for, because then they could do so much more in a much quicker time period, right? Yeah. But. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. No, for sure. I do. I also, I think part of the reason, though, that they don't give the workers shard plate is because they don't care about their workers, to be honest, at all. So yeah. Dalinar only thinks about it because he's actually a good person. Yeah. Um. So basically, now, uh, they're... After the after the, he considers this question that Sydney just considered... Yep. Uh, they get going to over to... They find an Arden and they ask the Arden, uh, hey, get together some of these people. We're going to do some inspections. And the Arden gets on that. And then Adolin and Dalinar start walking. And Dalinar asks Adolin if he feels the thrill, which is, like I said, taboo, a weird thing to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and Adolin, Adolin says, I mean, everybody, who doesn't? And Dalinar has a moment of crap because Dalinar just lost it. And that's yep. very unalethy to not feel the thrill. Yeah. What do you think? Why do you think he lost it? Do you have any guesses? Um, well, I think it has to do with the visions and kind of mm. everything happening with that. He's at a point, I think, where he just, he doesn't see, so he used to see like the war as something that was important, holy, like holy. And now he's at a point where he just, he doesn't see that anymore. He sees yeah. it as a burden and something that needs to be stopped. And right. so I think that's why. Fair enough. And then, uh, Adolin looks at the groups of, uh, the groups of soldiers and their families. And he thinks about the fact that a lot of uh, high princes wouldn't have let eight, wouldn't let their families bring, like, come to the Shattered Plains to, like, a war zone. Yeah. But Dalinar did because he uh, felt bad, essentially. I love that. Literally, that makes me love Dalinar so much more. Like, yeah. I love that he cares so much about his people. They said, yeah, because it's it, the idea of, like, basically, it, it would be weird to even let Dark Eyed come. Like, normally, Dark Eyes wouldn't be allowed to bring their families with them. Yeah. And Dalinar said, I, it felt wrong to let some families be together and some not. Yeah. And I respect that so much. Also, Dalinar is currently considering the idea, the fact that the Shattered Plains are now a part of Alethi. Yep. Like, we're never going to get rid... These war camps are now just permanent. They're never... We're, even when we win the war or lose the war, these war camps will become a permanent part of our society. Yeah. Which Adolin's like, is that is there an issue with that? And Dalinar's just kind of unsure. Yeah. Then they move on. They, they're still walking. Uh, and Dalinar asks Adolin, what will happen if we continue to collect gem hearts at this speed? What will happen to the economy? Which is a fair question. It is a fair question. This this has a lot of Dalinar just in being in his head asking Adolin, like, yeah. you, these are the things you need to think about when you're in charge. And Adolin's like, 
when I'm in charge. What are you talking about, Dad? I don't feel like there's a lot that really happens in this chapter. It's just kind of... Well, not yet. Something does well, happen. Yeah, but I just feel like it, there's just a lot of, like, down our thinking, Yeah, to be honest. And Adolin being concerned about down our thinking. Yeah, that's literally just about it. Then they go through a little bit of war tactics. It talks for a bit about, like, how you kill a Parshendi and the fact that Parshendi fight in twos. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, basically the idea of, like, you can push them off or you cut them with a sharp blade. Those are yep. the two options. You can't really kill them with, like, blunt force. Yep. Then, um... They go through. Adolin basically gets put in charge of, of the inspection. Dalinar, Dalinar shoves Adolin into the lead role uh, a bunch of times. He yeah. just, just keeps putting Adolin in charge of the inspections because Dalinar is really considering whether he should step down or not. Yep. Um, and then they go and they talk to all the people that Sadius talked to during the uh, gem hunt hunt last time. Yeah. During the chasm rush or whatever it's called. The bridge run. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sadius was pulling people out of the line and they yeah. talked to all the people and all the people were like, we didn't tell him nothing, sir. We didn't tell him nothing. Yeah. And the, uh, Adolin and Dallin are like, oh, crap. That means that it looks more guilty to refuse to say anything than just be honest and say what happened. Yeah. They were trying to show loyalty and what they actually did was made it like made Adolin and Dallin look really guilty. Yeah. It's just funny because they obviously didn't mean that. Yeah. It's just it's just funny to me. The, like the way that that works. I think they did a good thing, but in reality, maybe not so much. Yep. And then the high prince stated all turns down Dalinar on a, uh, uh, t- attempts to get them to do a joint bridge run. Uh, the last of the high princes, except for Sadius now has turned them down. So every high prince, but Sadius has turned Dalinar down. Not great. Not great. Um, and it, it's, they're just sad about it. And yeah. then Dalinar puts Adolin to go do more work. And it switches to an to a Dalinar chapter. Uh and Dalinar basically is like, I need some, I need some movement, some motion to get my body working so that I can clear my head. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And so Dalinar goes ahead and he walks over to the place where the people are digging the latrine. Yep. And that we I mentioned earlier. Yep. And he says, Who's in charge here? And a little guy like raises his hand and says, Right, Lord, how may we serve you? And Dalinar says, Go relax for a bit. It's my turn. And then he hops in the latrine hole and it's full sharp plate. Has yeah. somebody bring him his war hammer, which is like too heavy for one man to lift without sharp plate. Yeah. He takes his war hammer and the dude starts cutting, cutting the bathroom for his soldiers. Yeah. Seriously. Um, it's so he also thinks about the little uh, section from the way of Kings. So I'm going to read it real quick. Yep. It says a monarch is control. He provides stability. It is his service and his trade good. If he cannot control himself, then how can he control the lives of men? What merchant worth his stormlight won't partake of the very fruit he sells? And so I just think that's that's a fun little little quote that comes to yes. him uh, while he's he's doing this. I put someone to work you wouldn't do is is bad. Yeah. So and then it comes to another spot where he's still thinking about the codes, the the uh, book and the visions and. While he's swinging his hammer against the rock. And I want to read that part as well. Not dramatic. Just read it. Okay. Never fight never fight other men except when forced to in war. Bang. Let your actions defend you, not your words. Bang. Expect honor from those you meet and give them the chance to live up to it. Bang. Rule as you would be ruled. Bang. Uh, someone had to start. Someone had to be the model. In this, he had a reason not to abdicate. Whether or not he was mad, the way he did not, he did the way he now did things was better than the way Sadius and the others did them. Uh, one only need to look at the lives of his soldiers and his people to see that was true. Bang. So Dalinar is clearing his head by doing this work. Uh, honestly, though, it's a, such a great way to clear your head. Like, 
Yep. Sometimes it's nice to just go and do work. Like a lot of times I'll go and sit like if I'm kind of just feeling out of it or want to just like sit and like do homework in a quiet area. Like I'll go and do that. And it's very relaxing. You just sit and like for me, like type out things on my laptop yep. or do something like physical. Like it's just and a lot, I think a lot of people are like yep. that. Like physical work yep. is such like a way to relax your body and your mind. Mm-hmm. And people keep coming over here and like looking down and like looking at him because he's using like sacred shard plate shard blade yep. to dig a freaking latrine yeah i love this imagery that they he used the latrine it could have been any manual labor and yeah the, the, uh brandon was like brandon sanderson was like this is the the most lowly work you can do is dig a bathroom yeah and so they made that da- down do that and so people are sitting here watching him because it's like you're using a holy relic in order to dig a bathroom Honestly, and uh good ev- for him eventually eventually uh, Dalinar is leader of his of his uh, cobalt guard. Started sending people to like leave, let him do his work, and I appreciate that. Yeah, me too. Dalinar is still thinking about the fact his brother died. He's just in his head, being sad while he digs the latrine. And eventually, um, a dry feminine voice says, "Wouldn't the blade be more efficient?" Ah, and Navani, the the husband of the deceased. You mean the wife? <laughs> sorry, the wife of the deceased king, the father, the mother of the current king is standing over him, looking down at him. And it's revealed that the little appointment they made, the last time they interacted, Dalinar just dipped on it to dig a bathroom. He forgot. Uh, he forgot. He forgot. And so now, Dalinar's all upset because he is now in the, like, rule of kindness and, like, however, hierarchy of of uh, honor. Yeah. He is now in debt to her for having forgotten. Yep. Which he's like, I do not want to be in debt to this woman. This woman is like kind of a little bit of a conniving little snake woman. Don't blame him. <laughs> yeah, he's she's kind of a little conniving snake woman. And so do not want to be in her debt. Nope. And then uh, Navani also says, by the way, there is a blinking shard, uh, not shard, blinking span read for you. Yep. From Yasna Kolin. Woo, Yasna! And also, I want to be there when you read it. because And because Dalinar's just been put in her debt, Dalinar's like, of course, Navani. <laughs> which she took advantage instantly of that like that you know yeah debt of honor essentially but now now he, he's out of the debt he's already paid it back right yeah so i guess that's good yeah and also she asks him a question that he does not want to address she says um do you know why i picked gavilar instead of you all those years ago Oof. which is kind of a jerk move to be honest bring that up and the issue is she says I didn't pick him because I because he didn't pick him because he would become King Dalinar. That's what everyone says. I cho- I chose him because you frightened me. That intensity of yours. It scared your brother too, you know. It's still there, she said. I can see it in your eyes, but you've wrapped uh, armor around it, a glistening set of shard plate to contain it. Uh, that is that is part of what I find fascinating. Um, and then Dalinar basically says. We can't date. Like we, you're my deceased husband, uh, deceased brother's wife. You're the father of. You're the mother of the king, who I am the uncle of. This is we're si- we're sibling in laws. Yeah, this is weird. That would be weird. I agree with that statement. That would be very weird. But Navani, don't the, date your deceased brother's wife. But Navani says, "Why not?" Ah. Uh, um, and then they get to the place where they're going to do listen to the the shard the the. Span read from, from Yasna. Yep. And Adolin is there. And Dalinar's like, weren't you supposed to be doing the inspections? And Adolin's like, I finished that hours ago, my man. Yep. Um, what were you going to say? You had something to say. I was going to say real quick, while he was 
uh, digging, he was about to the point where he was going to like he was about to make his final decision on whether he was going to abdicate the throne. Right. Or not. Right. And he when he got interrupted, that decision didn't get finished yet. So and the, yeah. Keep that in mind for later. So he's he's still kind of pondering whether or not to give Adolin the the position of high prince. Yeah. Adolin, while he while they meet, also is like, by the way, here's a new woman, Denelan. Uh, she's good. She's the woman I'm courting, and she's going to be reading us from the uh, span read with Yasna. Adolin is ridiculous. This man is such a player. Yeah. He's had like since we've started this book, he's had like six different women already. And Adolin says, "I do have a reputation to maintain about getting lots of women." And Dalinar's like, "You need to find an actual woman now." And it's secretly, he thinks because you're going to need one when you are high prince. And Adolin says. When I'm old and boring, I will. <laughs> well, that might be coming up real quick, buddy. Yeah. Um, and then basically the the span conversation starts, and I kind of I kind of want to read the conversation back and forth. Are you yes, willing to read that with absolutely me? Absolutely I am. Let's get it. Woo woo! Uncle, Don Lon read, I presume that you are well. Indeed, Dalinar replied. I am well cared for by those around me. The words were code, indicating that he didn't trust or at least didn't know, everyone listening. Yasno would be careful not to send anything too sensitive. Donlon took the pen and twisted the gemstone, then wrote out the words, sending them across the ocean to Yasna. Was she still in Tukar? After Donlon finished writing, she returned it to the dot at the top left, the spot where the pens were both to be placed so Yasna could continue the conversation, then turned the gemstone back to the previous setting. As I expected, I have found my way to Carbronth, Donlon read. The secrets I seek are too obscure to be contained even in the Palinaeum, but I find hints. Tantalizing fragments. Is Elogar well? Hints? Fragments? Of what? She had a penchant for drama, Yasna did, though she wasn't as flamboyant about it as the king. Your brother tried very hard to get himself killed by a chasm fiend a few weeks back, Dalinar replied. Adolin smiled at that, leaning with his shoulder against the bookcase. But evidently, the heralds watch over him. He is well. Though your presence here is sorely missed, I'm certain he could use your counsel. He is relying heavily on Brightness Lalai to act as clerk. Perhaps that would make Yasna return. There was little love lost between herself and Sadius's cousin, who was the king's head scribe in the queen's absence. Donlon scratched away, writing the words. To the side, Navani cleared her throat. Oh, Donlon said, add this. Your mother is here in the war camps again. A short time later, the pen wrote of its own volition. Send my mother my respect. Keep her at arm's length, uncle. She bites. From the side, Navani sniffed, and Dalinar realized he hadn't signaled that Navani was actually listening. He blushed as Donlon continued speaking. I cannot speak of my work via span read, but I'm growing increasingly concerned. There is something here, hidden by the sheer number of accrued pages in the historical record. Yasna was a Veristatelia. She'd explained it to him once. They were an order of scholars who tried to find truth in the past. They wished to create unbiased, factual accounts of what had happened in order to extrapolate what to do in the future. He wasn't clear on why they thought themselves different from regular historians. Will you be returning? Dalinar asked. I cannot say, Donlon read after the reply came. I do not dare stop my research. But a time may soon come when I dare not stay away either. What? Dalinar thought. Regardless, Donlon continued, I have some questions for you. I need you to describe for me again what happened when you met that first Parshendi patrol seven years ago. These are painful memories, Yasna. I wish I'd never convinced your father to go on that expedition. 
If we never discovered the Parshendi, then they couldn't have assassinated him. The first meeting happened when we were exploring a forest that wasn't on the maps. This was south of the Shattered Plains, in a valley about two weeks' march from the Drying Sea. So. So, real quick, before we say anything else, we skipped a little section there. Yeah, there was, that was like, a long at one. At the end, there was a little section we skipped, and we just did the words yeah. instead. So, just if you're reading along during our dramatic readings, just yeah. keep that in mind, okay? We know we skipped a little section. There was a little, so there was a little, couple of paragraphs that were just him thinking, and honestly, I was like, where is the part I wanted to say? And that was that it was that. So I just skipped down to him replying and then ended it. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, but that's it's so interesting that they have their own little codes. For yeah. One. Also, I love this technology. How <laughs> cool is that? How yeah. sweet would it be to be able to like write like I know it's kind of like text messages, except yeah. you can see it as yeah. it writes, which is it's like magic. It's like magic. It's so cool. I'm such a big fan of span reads. Yeah. I want one in my own life. <laughs> Brandon Sanderson, please find a way to make this make thing. Them. Merch. <laughs> um merch. Hey Sydney. <laughs> Sydney. Yeah. What is she finding hints of? Huh? What's she finding hints of? Fragments in the histories. Uh what's she looking for? She asked a few questions about the, the Parshendi. If they had shard blades, yeah. if they ever spoke of the chasm fiend, if they ever spoke of void bringers. Yes. And then they didn't have uh, shard blades at first, at least Dalinar didn't think so. Yeah. Um, so what is she asking about? What's she trying to find? Oh, well, I think she's trying to find how they got shard blades in the first place. Mm. Um, no, not, not well, just, what is she trying to find as a bigger picture? Because she asks about. Well, she's trying to figure out what happened. Yeah. Like with Galinar's death and who did it. Yeah. I think she's trying to find, I mean, she's trying to find Zeth. You think she's trying to find Zeth? I mean, I think in the end, I think that she's going to find out about Zeth. Then why'd she, then by the way, next thing that happens, she has, um, she has Shalon draw a picture of what is labeled as an ancient drawing of a void bringer. Yes. And what they drew was a chasm. It's in that, uh, that one. That's the drawing we showed, we talked about earlier. Yeah. 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 Um, is it what the drawing is, is actually a chasm fiend, but it's labeled as a void bringer. Why is she looking for void bringers? Well, I think she, I kind of get the vibe because, especially because it looks like a chasm fiend. I kind of get the vibe that she thinks maybe the void bringers are still out there, still around, and trying to figure out. Like, I think maybe she might might think that the void bringers are still around, and like those kinds of, you know, they could be just mini void break or fo- void bringers, right? Yeah. That that's what I think. I think she thinks they're still out there. Which yeah. honestly, I would kind of agree with her. Yeah. Like if his void bringers, if the void bringers look like chasm fiends, yeah. Then maybe the chasm fiends are just like a cousin. Yeah. Well, uh, she says, Yasin says she doesn't think that they're void bringers. She thinks because this was a, a couple uh, generations yeah, after that's void true. bringers. That is true. She thinks that the artist just thought of the most evil thing she could f- remember, yeah. which was a vo- which was a chasm fiend. The thing is, they didn't know. Like they shouldn't have known that chasm fiends existed, yeah. Because like shattered planes didn't exist then, yeah. So there's that's another mystery is yeah. Where did that chasm fiend live? Yeah, they didn't no. know those existed. Yeah, um, it's a lot of mysteries here. A lot of mysteries, and then Yasa basically says, "I'll come eventually, Uncle. Stop, get off my back about yeah. coming back." And then Dalinar sends everyone out, and after he's trying to think by himself, and then he realizes that the freaking Navani stayed. Um, and Dalinar instead of answering her first question when she asks why he's trying to get Yasin to return so bad. He's like, uh, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that my guards can see me so this is proper what we're doing. Honestly, fair. Yep. And then um, basically he says that uh, he he basically, 
he really, really thinks of her highly because she's very, very smart. She's her nephew. She's the daughter of his brother. She really, nee, sorry. She really, really thinks highly. He does of of uh, Yasna. Yeah. And Navani says she's a heretic, and uh, Dalinar says, "But yeah, that's a good thing. If she doesn't believe it, I wouldn't want her to pretend she does. Yeah. She's strong in her. She's strong in her will. Yep. And that's good. And I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. And then basically, Dalinar realizes, crap, I'm abdicating. Like, he does realize that he's thinking about it instead of as if and as when. Yeah. Like, in his brain, he's going to abdicate. And so the, the, the chapter ends with this little thing because I love, I love reading the chapter ends. It says, too weird. Too weird. Real quick. Okay. Sorry, I'm going to interview you real fast. He tells Navani that he's going to abdicate. Yeah. And she's like, no, that's a terrible mistake. And then Dallas says, it's mine to make. And I must repeat my, and I must repeat I must repeat my request. I have many things to think about, Navani, and I can't deal with you right now. And <laughs> then he sends Navani out, and Fair. then he says, that's it, Dalinar thought, letting out a long exhalation. I've made the decision. Too weary to remove his plate, unassisted, he sank down to the floor, resting his head against the wall. He would tell Adeline of his decision in the morning, then announce it at a feast within a few weeks. From there, he would turn to, Af- to Alethkar and his lands. It was over. The end of part two. Whoa. I can't believe we're through part two already. Theory time. What's Dalinar going to actually do? Is he going to actually go through with it? I think he's going to start to go through with it and then not. Something's going to happen and he's not going to be able to finish. Like, I think, I don't think he's fully going to end up abdicating. Um, Or if he does, I don't think he's going to leave like he's supposed to. Yeah. Like, I think, I think he's going to end up sticking around. If a good guess. Thank good you. Guess. Okay. Next thing. Now it's time to go to interludes. So if you don't know what an interlude is, it's a little like break from the main story. We're gonna see some 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 side characters, mostly one-off little like stories from side characters. Yeah. A few of these return to. I'll we give... see Zeth again. Woo woo! Well, yep, we see Zeth. So Sydney's gonna start us. The first one that we see is a woman named Risen. Yep. So go ahead and tell us about Risen. Okay, so uh Risen is she's like a I don't know exactly what she's like a merchant's apprentice. Apprentice, yes. Um so Right now, she's in like the Shin land. Yeah, Shin. Shinavar. Yeah, Shinavar. And with her, with her merchant that yeah. she's following around. And she's looking at the grass and she's like, what the heck is this? Because this place has regular grass. There's no spread in Shinavar. The grass doesn't like go down when doesn't, you like, like sink into holes yes, like everyone else does. Yeah, it's just, it's like our own earth. Like yeah. it's like, if you walked outside right now, yeah. that's what Shinovar basically is. Instead of rock, it's soil. Like yeah. everywhere else, like hard rock. And she's like, this, I feel like I'm going to sink into this dirt up to my knees. Yeah. Like she, she doesn't know what to do with it. Um, but she, so she asks uh, her merchant, which is, his name is Vistim. Um, and she asks him about it and he's just kind of like, well, you know, it just is what it is. <laughs> he doesn't really have a reason for it. Um, but they're just talking about the grass and stuff and the Shin people, but uh, Vastim tells her that the like the dirt is called soil is what it's called. Yep. Um, and then she says, uh, "Risen's like, you know, how can the Shin people like stand to live here? This is yeah. awful." Yeah. And he's like, "They're just an interesting people." Now, shouldn't you be setting up that device? And so she starts setting up this like device, and she's wearing um like a ankle length skirt, and she actually doesn't have a a like thing covering her safe hand. She doesn't have a sleeve because yeah, she doesn't have a sleeve because she thinks that's silly. She has a glove though. She she does wear a glove because she thinks she thinks it's silly to cover her hand because her culture doesn't do that. Yeah. But she does recognize that it makes others uncomfortable. Yeah. And that makes sales harder. So she does still wear a glove to try and make sales easier. Yeah. Um, but so she's setting up this like little tripod thing, and 
basically, um, this this tripod, there's like a gemstone on it, and yep. when people start to approach, the gemstone starts to like flash yeah. and get like bright. So it's kind of like a warning for Yes. For, so it's basically just a warning. So she sets it up. Essentially for bandits most yeah. of the time. And right as she sets it up, um, it starts to like flash and stuff and yeah. warn her that someone is coming. And so she tells Vistim that yeah. someone is coming. Wait, give me one second though. I do want to say this. This is such an interesting the the world is like ours. But this is such an interesting perspective from somebody who has it. Like, if you lived in a world like hers, this is how they'd be see our world. Yeah. The entire landscape had an eerie feel to it, as if it were dead. Nothing moved. With a start, Risen realized she couldn't see any spread. Not one. No wind spread. No life spread. Nothing. So I love the idea. When we see trees and grass, our brains are like, so life. But yeah. it, be, it, the idea of if someone came from a place where, like, plants moved, they come here and be like, everything feels dead. Yeah. And I think that's really neat. It makes me laugh. Yeah. Um. But so the thing starts to flash and she uh, realizes that um, there's a group of people coming. And so she tells Vistim. And so it's a group of like three, like there's, you know, four men riding on horses. Uh, they're wearing like, like kind of subdued clothing. It's it's yeah. really bright. Yeah. But it's not as bright as like the main, the main guy who's wearing like bright colored outfits. Yeah. And there's like, a crap ton of other other like people. There's like three dozen other men walking along wearing like brown tunics. Yeah. And uh Risen's like, oh wow, he brought a lot of servants. And Vasim's like, servants? Those are his guards. And she's like, why are they so dull looking? And basically we learn that the Shin, um, the warriors are the lowest of the low. Yeah. Like in Alephi and other places, the warriors are like really high up in the rankings, where here um, the warriors are really, really low. Like they value more things other than like yeah. guards and fighting. People who are farmers are the highest. Yeah. N yep. And in the next chapter, actually, um, it's cool. Seth kind of explains why in the next chapter in his thoughts. He says, those who create are the highest. Yeah. And those who take away are the lowest. So warriors take away life. So they're the lowest. Yeah. Can we dramatically read the little interaction between the salesman and, and Vistim? Yes, absolutely. I would love that. Yeah. Tan balo kentara, he said. She didn't know what it meant. The man in the cloak, the farmer, nodded respectfully, and one of the other riders dismounted and walked forward. Winds of fortune guide you, my friend. He spoke Salen very well. He who adds is happy for your safe arrival. Thank you, Thresh, son Asan, Vistim said. And my thanks to he who adds. What have you brought for us from your strange land, friend? Thresh said. More metal, I hope? Vestim waved, and some of the guards brought over a heavy crate. They set it down and pried off the top, revealing its peculiar contents. Pieces of scrap metal, mostly shaped like bits of shell, though some were formed like pieces of wood. It looked arisen like garbage that had, for some inexplicable reason, been soul cast into metal. Ah, Thresh said, squatting down to inspect the box. Wonderful. Not a bit of it was mined, Vestim said. No rocks were broken or smelted to get this metal, Thresh. It was soul cast from shells, bark, or branches. I have a document sealed by five separate Thalen notaries attesting to it. You needn't have done such a thing as this, Thresh said. You have once earned our trust in this matter long ago. I'd rather be proper about it, Vistim said. A merchant who is careless with contracts is one who finds himself with enemies instead of friends. Thresh stood up, clapping three times. The men in brown with the downcast eyes lowered the back of a wagon, revealing crates. The others who visit us... Thresh noted, walking to the wagon. All they seem to care about are horses. Everyone wishes to buy horses, but never you, my friend. Why is that? 
too hard to care for, Vistim said, walking with Thresh. And there's too often a poor return on the investment, valuable as they are. But not with these, Thresh said, picking up one of the light crates. There was something alive inside. Not at all, Vistim said. Chickens fetch a good price, and they're easy to care for, assuming you have feed. We brought you plenty, Thresh said. I cannot believe you buy these from us. They are not worth nearly so much as you outsiders think, and you give us metal for them. Metal that bears no stain of broken rock. A miracle! Vistim shrugged. Those scraps are practically worthless where I come from. They're made by Ardens practicing with soul casters. They can't make food because if you get it wrong, it's poisonous. So they turn garbage into metal and throw it away. But it can be forged! Why forge the metal? Vistim said. When you can carve an object from wood in the precise shape you want, then soul cast it. Thresh shook his head, bemused. Risen watched with her own share of confusion. This was the craziest trade interaction she'd ever seen. Normally, Vistim argued and haggled like a crush killer. But here, he freely revealed that his wares were worthless. In fact, as conversation proceeded, the two both took pains to explain how worthless their goods were. Eventually, they came to an agreement, though Risen couldn't grasp how and shook hands on the deal. Some of Thresh's soldiers began to unload their boxes of chicken, cloth, and exotic dried meats. Others began carting away boxes of scrap metal. You couldn't trade me a soldier, could you? Vistim asked as they waited. They could not be sold to an outsider, I am afraid. But there was that one you traded me. It's been nearly seven years, Thresh said with a laugh, and you still ask. You don't know what I got for him, Vistim said, and you gave him to me for practically nothing. He was truthless, Thresh said, shrugging. He wasn't worth anything at all. You forced me to take something in trade, though to confess, I had to throw away your payment into a river. I could not take money for a truthless. So, the what? truthless was definitely Zeth. Yeah, what did we learn? Uh, we learned that Vistim had Zeth at one point. And that's how Seth got unleashed to the world. Yeah. He, he gave Seth to this guy. This guy sold him for someone else. And now Zeth has murdered kings. Yay! Yay! Okay, what else did we learn? What did, what did Risen learn? Uh, basically... The way uh, the Shin bargain is they just, like, talk about how terrible their stuff is. Yeah, it's it's more of, like, honesty rather than yes. haggling. They really, really love and value honesty. Yep. Um, the Shin do, which I think is really awesome. And modesty, I guess. And modesty, yeah. Uh, it's just a fun – it's such a fun little interaction as a yeah. whole, I think. Yeah, it's really great. And then what does Vis Dim make Risen do? It's to do with the soil. I don't remember, to be honest. It's to do with the soil. Oh, <laughs> I forgot. It's been a while since I read, just saying. But uh, yeah, so he tells her to pick, like, take a little, like, pot of soil. With grass and, on it. With grass on it and to uh, take care of it. Yeah. He, he basically says, keep that until it's not weird. Keep yeah. that until that's how it is in your mind. Yep. Because when you, tr this, is, this is a great thing for, like, intercultural communication. We have a class about this. Uh -huh. But when you treat the other culture as strange and not just a different. Yep then you're going to be worse at communicating with yep. them, which is a great message. And uh, Vistim has a great a great uh, lesson here is the idea of yeah. if they're weird to you, you're going to be bad at communicating with them. Yep. If they're just different, yep. then it's fine. And I love that. That's such a good way of, of showing it too. Our intercultural communication prof would be so proud of us right Absolutely now. Absolutely. <laughs> All righty. That's the end of that chapter. Yep. Now it's time for mine, which we get another interesting fella because it's interlude five, Axies, the collector. Yep. Freaking axes, man. He wakes up. He's like, oh, man, I'm naked. And um, <laughs> that's such a funny thing. Such a funny way to start a chapter. So 
essentially, I'm just going to give up. This is a weird dude. This is a dude who, for some reason, is pseudo immortal. He's been around. He's been around for centuries. Yep. He can alter tattoos on himself at will. He has blue fingernails. Which would be amazing, low-key, yes. to just be like, I want this tattoo today. Yeah. He has blue fingernails and toenails. And he wakes up naked in an alley because he got he got himself intentionally extremely drunk last night. Yep. Because he's trying to document every kind of spread that's ever existed. And he's looking for drunken spread or whatever it's called. He basically uses the tattoos to keep notes for himself. Yeah. And so he scans his body until he finds a new one that says, uh, there's a new tattoo, basically. A, a new spread. He found it. He's documented yeah. it. And in the alley he finds himself in, he accidentally crushed. There's a homeless man who has made a whole like pseudo city out of trash. Yeah. And uh, Axes is laying on some of it. And the beggar is very sad. But Axes basically pretends to be a demon and tricks him into giving him a piece of cloth so yeah. that he can... Uh, not be naked. Yep. Which is fair. Uh, yeah, fair. Um, And then uh, Axis walks out and he's like, oh, I'm in the city with the golden hair. This is great. There's a spread I wanted to see here. Yeah. And he walks over to the edge of a dock and a from the dock, a giant head thing arises at exactly, what time is it? 7.46 in the morning. Yeah. And, and it does this every day. And it looks directly towards the origin in the east, mm -hmm. and its face is just constantly shifting. Yeah. Like hundreds of faces in a second. Bam, bam, yep. bam, bam. Shifting faces. Yep. And Axis is like, neat. And then some- Honestly, fair. That is neat. Yeah. Then some rascals come by, steal his clothing, and he gets arrested. And he's like, welp, I guess I'll have another chance to look for prison spren. <laughs> and that's the end of that. <laughs> Really, that chapter is That literally is the entire chapter. That's like, here's a dude. He's doing some neat stuff, documenting. He's been alive forever. Why is that? Who knows? He got arrested. And that's the entire chapter. I love how many different types of spren there are. And I love that he's been looking for them. I also, I very much am a fan of the idea of, I this is these interludes I love because the idea of, and there are other people living their lives, normal dudes. Yeah. And there are other like pseudo God beings who yeah. are just kind of like, also around. Yeah. And that makes me laugh. There's like, oh, there's a guy here. He's immortal. Who yeah. knows why? I also think it's interesting to just see the, like, different lives. Like you said, the different lives people are living. Um, And it just, it kind of introduces the world even more, these little interludes, which yeah. I, I think is really awesome. And now we get to another extremely sad chapter. Ah, yikes. So we are back with Zeth, which loves Zeth. What is this chapter called, by the way? It's sad for him. It's called A Work of Art. Something I freaking love, but also makes me sad about this, is this book treats Zeth, the assassin, as a work of art. Every time that, every time that anything mentions him, yes. he is always with such poet, poetic language. Yep. And the, fa the fact that he hates the murder adds to that poetry to me. Yeah. So much like he's always anybody who talks about the assassin and wipe always uses such poetic language and forces him to do such evil, terrible things that he hates. Yep. I don't know. I love his whole story going on right now. Yeah. Um so we're back with we're back with Zeth and he is currently like hanging on the, the wall of this like gambling room. So his current uh master, whose name is McKeck, he's the one who's who murdered his previous uh owners and uh got his little uh uh, his little stone thingy that I can't think of what the name is right now. O stone. His O stone, yeah. Um, and so he has it, and basically this guy owns like, like this big gambling den, and he he's basically figured out what Zeth can do, 
and is using him as his own personal like assassin. And he's having uh, all he's having Seth kill all of like his enemies. And tonight, um, as McKeck begins to leave the uh, the building, he looks up at Zeth and is like, gives him like this sign. So Zeth knows that it's time for him to go do his go do his his thing. And basically, uh, Zeth's job tonight is to kill a man named Gavashaw. Gavashaw. And basically, Gavashaw is this new guy who's just opened a other gambling den nearby. Basically, yeah. To try and like kick McKeck out. Essentially, McKeck has been using him as just kind of to make himself the most powerful, like, yeah. like pimp in the world. Yep. So basically, uh, that's what Mc, uh, Seth is having to do. And so Zeth leaves the gambling den and heads out. And when he leaves, he points out that everyone knows where he's headed. Like, people know what is going to happen tonight. Um, but yeah, so I think that's interesting. Uh, but uh, Zeth heads out and heads to this giant, like, mansion where uh, this guy is going to be, where he yeah. lives. And he starts to use his power, his lashing powers to start climbing up the walls and stuff. Yep. He uh, gets in inside. Remind me how the lashing powers work. So they have, he has to have stormlight. Yeah. So he inhales the stormlight and he can use it that way. Um, he, he glows, which is inconvenient because it's dark out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not a great way to hide. He's also wearing clothes that he hates. Yeah. So, I, I, you know. Because McKeck made them to make yeah. him look intimidating, but yep. they're not great. So basically the way Zeth's lashing works is he can like lash himself to the side of the building make his make like up down yeah make, you know he just that kind of thing do you remember by the way the, um, the three types the so there's the, the basic lashing right yeah which makes it which so is like he can the direction of direction yeah. down changes there's the what the f- reverse lashing reverse sticking lashing. two things together yeah sticking two things together and then uh the third the, is like a special lashing whatever i don't remember what it's but called. It, it does uh draws things to like he puts stormlight yeah. on something and draws things to that point yes light things not heavy things yeah um but so he he lashes himself to the building starts to head in he summons his shard blade uh macaque doesn't actually know that he has a shard blade yeah uh what is assumed yes now. yeah um yeah but macaque doesn't know for sure though he he kind of figures yes. that it it's probably he probably does uh but seth is trying to be careful and not let him know because right. he doesn't want macaque to know that he has that ability as well right um but so uh, and also because if a shin man who's a crazy good assassin and has a shard blade yeah if that gets out piecing that to the assassin in white would be a pretty easy piece yep so they're trying to make sure he, Seth is very scared that someone's gonna be like you're the assassin in white whoop, whoop, and kill him or yeah. do whatever to him you know yeah um so Zeth gets into the, ma- the or, mansion or worse someone gets his oath stone who knows his true power oh yeah um Zeth gets into the mansion and spoiler alert by thinks, the way yeah he thinks about uh You should have read. Sorry. Whoa. He thinks about the fact that there aren't a whole lot there's like no guards inside and it's, it's weird. Eerily quiet. Yes. Like he didn't hurt any of the guards on the outside, but there's no guards on the inside and it's just super eerily quiet and he's walking like down the hallways and there's nobody around and he's like why is it so empty? Was Gavishaw not even here? Right. Like he just continued to walk around and he throws like a little like ball full of stormlight to try and distract the guards and he gets to the room where he thinks Gavishal is mm-hmm. and finds Gavishal's head sitting on a table. Well before he does that I wa- I do want to clarify what Sydney said. The way that he's like there might be a hidden guard here. So he takes a wooden ball 
and then puts a cloth over it and then yeah. and then makes it fall through the room to make it look like a guy running in a crouch. Yeah. So that if there was a hidden guard, it could it would stab the cloth and reveal itself. A genius. Honestly. Very smart. Yeah. But then finds the head. Yeah. So he finds Gavisho's head, and when he finds the head, uh, a man says Zeth, like to him. And wait, can we? I know we've done a lot, but I, this interaction is kind of baller. Yeah. Can we do this one? Absolutely, we can. Let's get it. Zeth, son Naturo, a voice said. Zeth turned, spinning his shard blade around and falling into a defensive stance. A figure stood on the far side of the room, shrouded in darkness. Who are you? Zeth demanded, his stormlight aura growing brighter once he stopped holding his breath. Are you satisfied with this, Zeth, son Naturo? The voice asked. It was male and deep. What was that accent? The man wasn't Vaden. Alethi, perhaps? Are you satisfied with trivial crimes? Killing over meaningless turf in backwater mining villages? Zeth didn't reply. He scanned the room, looking for motion in the other shadows. None seemed to be hiding anyone. I've watched you, the voice said. You've been sent to intimidate shopkeepers. You've killed footpads so unimportant even the authorities ignore them. You've been shown off to impress whores as if they were high light-eyed ladies. What a waste. I do as my master demands. You are squandered, the voice said. You are not meant for petty extortions and murders. Using you like this, it's like hitching a Rashadium stallion to a rundown market wagon. It's like using a shard blade to slice the vegetables, or like using the finest parchment as kindling for a washwater fire. It is a crime. You are a work of art, Zeth son Naturo, a god. And each day, Macaque throws dung at you. Who are you? Seth repeated. An admirer of the arts. Do not call me by my father's name, Seth said. He should not be sullied by association with me. The sphere on the wall finally ran out of stormlight, dropping to the floor, the drapery muffling its fall. Very well, the figure said. But do you not rebel against this frivolous use of your skills? Were you not meant for greatness? There is no greatness in killing, Seth said. You speak like a Kikori. Great men create food and clothing. He who adds is to be revered. I am he who takes away. At least in the killing of men such as these, I could pretend to be doing a service. This from a man who nearly toppled one of the greatest kingdoms in Roshar. This from a man who committed one of the most heinous slaughters in Roshar, Seth corrected. The figure snorted. What you did was a mere breeze compared to the storm of slaughter sharpbearers wreak on a battlefield each day. And those are breezes compared to the tempest you are capable of. Zeth began to walk away. Where are you going? The figure asked. Gavashal is dead. I must return to my master. Something hit the floor. Zeth spun, shard blade down. The figure had dropped something round and heavy. It rolled across the floor towards Zeth. Another head. It came to rest on its side. Zeth froze as he made out the features. The pudgy cheeks were stained with blood. The dead eyes wide with shock. Makek. How? Zeth demanded. We took him seconds after you left the gambling den. We? Servants of your new master. My oathstone. The figure opened his hand, revealing a gemstone suspended in his palm by a chain wrapped around his fingers. Sitting beside it, now illuminated, was Zeth's oath stone. The figure's face was dark. He wore a mask. Zeth dismissed his shard blade and went down on one knee. What are your orders? There was a list on the table, the figure said, closing his hand and hiding the oath stone. It details our master's wishes. Zeth rose and walked over. Beside the head, which rested on a plate to contain the blood, was a sheet of paper. He took it, and the stormlight illuminated some two dozen names written in the warrior script of his homeland. Some had a note beside them with instructions on how they were to be killed. Glories within, Zeth thought. These are some of the most powerful people in the world. Six high princes? Azaleh Garantark? The king of Yaakoved? 
It is time you stopped wasting your talent, the figure said, walking to the far wall, resting his hand upon it. This will cause chaos, Zeth whispered. Infighting, war, confusion, and pain such as the world is rarely known. The chain gemstone on the man's palm flashed. The wall vanished, turned to smoke. A soulcaster. The dark figure glanced at Zeth. Indeed, our master directs that you are to use tactics similar to those you employed so well in Alethkar years ago. When you are done, you will receive further instructions. He then exited through the opening, leaving Zeth horrified. This was his nightmare. To be in the hands of those who understood his capabilities and who had the ambition to use them properly, he stood for a time, silent, long past when his stormlight ran out. Then, reverently, he folded the list. He was surprised that his hands were so steady. He should be trembling, for soon the world itself would shake. Dun, dun, dun. Few, few things to, to go over here real quick, okay? Okay. First, we reveal why Seth go, why, uh, uh, he wore Seth's son, son Volano, wear white on the day he was to kill a king. The real, the reason he calls himself son, son Volano is because he doesn't want to call himself son Naturo because he doesn't want to sully his dad's name. Yeah. Instead, he's going to sully his grandpa's name, I guess. I guess so. Um, a couple other things. One, uh, I loved this sentence because when I read it the first time and when you read it just now, you are not, not meant for petty extortions and murders. Using you like this, it's like hitching a Rashadium stallion to a rundown market wagon. It's like using a sharp blade to slice vegetables. And to me, it's like, my immediately next thing was, or it's like using sharp plate to cut a latrine. Yeah. It's the idea of, it's the idea of these people versus the view of Dalinar. Yep. I love that. If he had said that, it would have been too obvious. But immediately that list, my brain immediately goes back to the last chapter where it's like, or it's like using sharp blade to cut a retreat. Yeah. It's, it's the difference of value and importance of things. Yep. I don't know. I really, really like that, that, that difference. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen here because obviously Zeth is going to have to go and do this. And I think we're going to see him soon because he's, I mean, they talk about killing some of the high princes. Right. So we're going to see him at the Shattered Plains eventually. Yeah. I, I really believe he's going to show up. Yep. And it's gonna be crazy. I also think Shalon and Seth will meet somehow because <laughs> okay. she's in um is it Jakoved? Yakoved. Yeah, Yakoved is where is She's the, not. She's no. from Yakoved. She's from no, Yakoved. She's from Yakoved. Yeah. Never mind then. She's not in Yakoved. But no, so he's gonna mind. he's gonna kill a like, king of Yakoved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um next thing, by the way, that I, I uh am kind of a big fan of. Um not a big fan of. I want a couple of th- theories from you. Any guesses at all on to who the master is? Um, you know, it would be wild. What? What if it was Sadius? There's a guess. I think it's someone from, um, I think it's an Alethi, someone we've met before. Right. Um, could be, could be, uh, Elokar. Huh? Could be Elokar. That would be a plot twist. Yeah, that would be a plot twist. Um, I actually wouldn't really be that surprised. I think it's either Elokar, Sadius. I do not think it's Dalinar or Adolin. That'd be terrible. Yeah. If it's either one of them, I will cry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do not. It's there's no way it can be Kaladin, right? Um, I wouldn't think it would be Shalon. That would be wild too, right? Um, don't think it's Yasna. Could be Navani. It's fair. Um, so I think it's either Sadius, Elikar, or Navani. Yep. I mean, I guess it could be one of the other high princes, but of the people we know well, I think it's one of those three. Fair enough. Alrighty. Um. So yeah, he's about to go do some some reckon of things. Yeah. Is there any other theories you want to talk about? Um, not really, but there is one thing I want to do. Okay. Since we finished this part, I want to read the full letter. Okay. This. Oh yeah, because the letter. I stops. assume this is the full letter. Yeah. yeah. The letter. The letter stops after this, because after this, it becomes. Uh, yeah. 
I'm not going to reveal it, but after this is a new type of thing. Yeah. Um, I looked ahead just to see. Eventually, by the way, they do go back to death rattles, if you're wondering. Yeah. Eventually, they get back to death rattles. Cool. Um, But I'll read the letter real quick. So this is the, the full letter, everything we've compiled over the weeks. So it says, old friend, I hope this missive finds you well, though, as you are now essentially immortal, I would guess that wellness on your part is something of a given. I realize that you are probably still angry. That is pleasant to know. Much as your perpetual health, I have come to rely upon your dissatisfaction with me. It is, one of the, it is one of the Cosmere's great constants, I should think. Let me first assure you that the element is quite safe. I have found a good home for it. I protect its safety like I protect my own skin, you might say. You do not agree with my quest. I understand that. So much, it is, so much as it is possible to understand someone with whom I disagree so completely. Might I be quite frank? Before you asked why I was so concerned, it is for the following reason. Ati was once a kind and generous man, and you saw what became of him. Reyes, on the other hand, was among the most loathsome, crafty, and dangerous individuals I had ever met. He holds the most frightening and terrible of all the shards. Ponder on that for a time, you old reptile, and tell me if your insistence on non-intervention holds firm, because I assure Reyes will not be similarly inhibited. One need only look at the aftermath of his brief visit to... to say, sell, sell. Sorry, one o- need only look at the aftermath of his brief visit to sell to see proof of what I say. In case you have turned a blind eye to that disaster, know that Iona and Sky are both dead, and that which they held has been splintered, presumably to prevent anyone from rising up to challenge Rays. You have accused me of arrogance in my quest. You have accused me of perpetuating my grudge against Rays and B- Bavadin. Both accusations are true. Neither point makes the things I have written to you here untrue. I am being chased. Your friends of the 17th Shard, I suspect. I believe they're still lost, following a false trail I left for them. They'll be happier that way. I doubt they have any inkling what to do with me should they actually catch me. I love that line. (laughs) If anything I have said makes a glimmer of sense to you, I trust that you'll call them off. Or maybe you could astound me and ask them to do something productive for once. For I have never been dedicated to a more important purpose, and the very pillars of the sky will shake with the results of our war here. I ask again, support me. Do not stand aside and let disaster consume more lives. I've never begged you for something before, old friend. I do now. So that's the entire letter, which All right. is really awesome. Who's it from? Who's it to? What do you have? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, I still stand the fact that I think it's... So we know the person he's writing to is immortal. Okay. Um, I, I still think that it's some kind of like like one of the heralds or um, what is the other one? The radiance. Radiance are the the followers of the heralds. Okay, they're the ones that Dalinar saw in their vision. In the vision, yeah. they're the radiance. So I think it's either one of them who who's receiving it or like a herald or someone like important. Okay, obviously, cool. um, because he's immortal. Yep. And then I think the writer is. I still kind of stand by the fact that I think maybe the writer could be whoever wrote the way of kings mm-hmm. um just because i think that would be a cool little yeah twist okay awesome any other things you want to do uh not really no all right so now that means it's time to rank the characters Woo-hoo! okay here we go this week i'm just going to read us the 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 list and i'll give a little explanation as to why they're each there dalinar super cool guy adolin said son of dalinar doing great zeth just a sick dude yeah yasna Love her. She was she's smart, she's sassy. What doesn't she have? Vistim, super good leader boy, super nice. Yeah. Taught her good lessons. Risen, learned good lessons, cool person. Axes changes tattoos. That's pretty neat. Thresh, 
you know, trading. Now we're into an area of characters we do not care about. Danlin, Taleb, Ledent, Havram, Tata, Nitter, and Latima, we do not care about. Then, yeah. Navani, because she's at the bottom of the Wish You Were Alive, because she just seems wicked rude for no reason. Yep. Then, Wish You Were Dead, we put the mystery man who hired Seth in here. Yep. Just because he sucks. Yes, and absolutely. Then, and then finally, we have a first dead tier in a while. A hot minute. We got McKeck chilling in the dead tier. Yep. And now for the top five, bottom five, Sydney read last week's top five. And All right. Five. So our top five from last week was Kaladin, Rock, Sil, Dalinar, and Adolin. And then our bottom five was Rashon, Elokar, Moash, Sadius, and Gaz. Great job. So keeping his spot number one at the top of the top. Kaladin. Following uh, with a big leap, passing two people. Big leap, Dalinar. So we put him there because he's cool. We like Dalinar. I like that he cares so much. Yep. Then losing only one space, we have Rock. Then losing only one space, we have we have Sil. Then keeping it consistent, right in the bottom of our favorite, we have Adolin. Now time for the bottom five new addition. We have Navani. Then say, keeping this consistency, we have Elkar and Moash and Sadius, and of course. At his throne on the very bottom, we have Gaz, as always, except for that one week. <laughs> <laughs> so as a quick rundown, the lowest of the low total every time is Gaz with a score of negative 39. And the highest of the high is Kaladin with a score of positive 38. Wow, crazy. Kaladin's only losing by one to Gaz. Yeah. Cal- <laughs> but like on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes. Uh, the absolute zero of Gaz <laughs> is one higher than the absolute zero of Kaladin. That's hilarious. Alrighty. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We appreciate it. Yes, absolutely we do. Uh, and then, just so everyone's aware, next week we're reading... We're reading chapters 29, 30, 31, 32, and 33. So you have one, two, three, four, five. Quick five. math. Five, five chapters to read. And make sure you have them read, because if you don't, Cindy's going to give you a list and force you against your will to murder everyone on it. Some of the Yikes. most powerful people in the world you're going to be murdering. Yikes. So that would be insane. Good luck with that. Make sure you read it. Um, and then I don't think you'd survive that. I'm not sure you get past the, the Secret Service. Sorry. <laughs> and then we have a fun time because we have to talk about uh, our favorite our favorite musician, Alesia. Because yep. he let us use his song, Wind Runner Remake, as the intro and outro of this program. So thank you so much, uh, Alesia. We really, really appreciate it. That's A-L-E-Z-E-I-A on Spotify. Yep. Um, all right. That's everything, I think. Yeah, that is. I believe so. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Quentin Pratt. And I'm Sydney Lyerly. I love you. Peace. Why are you still here? The show's over.